take a moment of silence for you to, to pray and to prepare your heart and mind, and I'll close this out. Father, we just humbly bow here in your presence as we continue our worship to you this day. Father, we had a wonderful time singing praises to you and, and we, are, we are told in your word to, to edify and to teach one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and to sing and make melody from your heart and to the Lord. And, and we did that this morning, Father, from the heart. We were singing, they were playing we were, were making the melody. We were clapping and, and lifting holy hands to thee. And so, Father, our whole desire, our whole purpose to be here is to worship you, the, the great, the eternal, the only living God. And so, Father, as we get ready now for our manna from heaven, your word that you have given to us to feast upon, oh, may it be a feast this day. May it be a wonderful feast that will fill us with your word with your presence, with your thoughts and your minds that you have for us. And may we then take that and it become a part of us, just as the food we eat does in the physical sense. May this spiritual food become a very part of our heart and our mind and our being. And may we then, as ambassadors for Christ, live those things that we learn each day so that others will see that and be drawn to you. Father, for that is the whole purpose of our ministry is to bring souls to Christ. And so, Father, as we, as we open your holy word, you knew we would be here this day. There's, there's a purpose for everything and what a great story it is. And we, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here among us to help us to unpack this and to understand what's going on. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus, your Son. And it's in his name that we pray and ask these blessings. Amen. All right. You know, as I was studying this week for Zechariah 7, and you can, you can turn your Bibles there if you'd like to. We'll be there in just a moment. But in, in Zechariah 7, there is such a pertinent message in there for us today and for the church this day. And, and as I was studying that, one of the scriptures that came to my mind was, was this in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. It's very reflexive of what we're doing. Apostle Paul was on his missionary journey and he was going place to place and he met up with some of his other disciples and he was bringing the word of God, establishing churches, bringing people into Christ and he had sailed to, uh, away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and he went to join the other ones in Troas and verse 7 in our Bibles reads that upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, that Paul preached unto them the message of God and made ready to depart on the morrow, and he continued preaching there until midnight. Now, 
I'm not going to use the apostolic example to go to midnight. I'm going to let you go here in a little bit. But what I wanted to share was that, you know, a lot of times people has questions about when do we worship? Why do we do this? And there's, there's one of the questions answered right there on the first day of the week. They gathered together for a specific purpose. And that purpose was to break bread together. The communion that we take at the end of, of the lesson, that communion was something that Jesus instituted to say that I want you to remember every week on the first day, come together yourselves together as the body of Christ and you do this in remembrance of me. At that point, the word that they came together to, that's a purpose. There was a purpose behind it and the purpose was to break bread, to commune, to remember what Jesus had did on the cross, what God through the love gave to us as his son, as that only begotten son. And so with that purpose, and, and that gives us the example from the word of God why we do what we do. And then with that, that's because there's going to be a question asked today whenever we get into Zechariah 7. Just like that, why do we do what we do? Should we continue doing what we do is what the question that they're going to come and ask. So if you're there in Zechariah chapter 7 with me, I very much appreciate this congregation because I get questions a lot of times from folks and I answer them for them in the best way I can from the scriptures only. And if I can't answer them from the scriptures, I, I say no. Uh, that's not there if it sometimes I got asked a question this week that's a deep question and I said let me have time to study on that because I could give you a a simple answer uh, and a quick answer but it may not satisfy what you want so give me time to dig deeper into this subject so that I can satisfy my own thoughts and and help with yours as well and so I appreciate it when questions come because that's the Bereans in you that are wanting to learn more and to know more. And so it really delights me when that happens. And I'm sure it, it delighted Zechariah here. Uh, in the search for truth among a world of falsehoods and traditions is what this really is. So let's read the first few verses of this together. And it says like this, beginning in, in verse 1. That it came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, and it came on the fourth day of the ninth month, even in Kislu, when they had sent. So there's a group of people now that are sending unto the house of God. They're going to the house of God, and they've sent Sherezer and Rejimelech that the, and their men to pray before the Lord and to speak unto the priests which were in the house of the Lord of hosts. And to the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month, separating myself, as I have done, oh, this so many years? And then the word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, Speak ye unto all the people of the land, and to the priests, saying, When ye have fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those seventy years, did ye at all? Fast unto me, even to me. And when you did eat, and when you did drink, did you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Hmm. 
what is that really trying to say to us? Well, let's, let's try to figure this out. It seems that for some time, and the scripture says there for about 70 years now, they had been doing something. For 70 years, they had been doing some weeping, some fasting, and separating themselves for some reason. And we're not given any information here about what that reason was, except that it's been going on now for about 70 years. So, 70 years ago in 586 B.C., what had really happened was, was that was when Nebuchadnezzar came in and he tore down the temple and burned it and burnt all the houses down of all the kings and the honorable men. And he tore down the wall of Jerusalem and he, he just swept through the whole area and destroyed it. And so what they've done is they've instituted and set up some fasts on their own to now be sorrowful for what has happened and to, to try to then plead unto God for forgiveness, for mercy and, and grace in this and to say that they were starry. So after it was utterly destroyed, they began to look to themselves for a solution to the problem instead of really going back to the word of God and trying to figure it out. If you'll remember, David whenever he was moving the Ark of the Covenant, he moved it in a way that was not according to Scripture because he didn't go back and look at what the Scripture said on how to move it. And they put it in the cart and had the oxen carrying it, and the oxen hit a, a hole in the road or a rock, and it caused the cart to move like that, and the Ark was going to fall. And Uzziah lifted up a hand to steady that so that the Ark of God would not fall off the cart. And you remember what happened to him? He died and David was upset. He's like all he tried to do was steady that Ark of the Covenant and not let the Ark of the Covenant of God fall off and yet God struck him down and why did he do that? And so he, he sat and he started praying and he was a little bit bitter toward God for the moment because he couldn't understand but then people came back to him and said look there's supposed to be poles. The, there's rings on the side for poles. And the priests are supposed to carry that on their shoulders. No man was supposed to touch that as they did that. It was supposed to be carried on the poles. And when David heard that, he went to go find the ark again and he prayed for it. And he started doing it the way the Bible, the scriptures of the word of God said to do it. And the, the priest picked it up and they moved it a few steps and he started celebrating it. And they set it down. And David started celebrating and praising God. But what had happened? When you did godly things by the way of the word of God, it works. And what had happened with Jerusalem and with the people is they had not went to the word of God. They had not stayed in the word of God and his will for what they were supposed to do. And now, after the destruction, they're still not. They were making up things on their own that they thought would be pleasing unto God, which really wasn't. And so that's what we're finding out here. So now, to go back to why they were having these feasts, and that's why your, your Berean chapters will be really important because that, this stuff is covered in the Berean chapters, and I can't read all of those, or we would be here till midnight like Paul. But you can look in, like Jeremiah, the first feast, is in uh, the description around what happened is in Jeremiah 39 and 52. And then the women who were weeping unto Tammuz is in Ezekiel 8. 
So those three kind of gives a view of what's going on, and I'll give you a clip. What happened is there was a king at the time, and his name was Zedekiah. And he was only a vassal under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had already come in once and took some of the people like Daniel and some of the, the nobles and had already brought them back. And he said, but you guys can operate here, but you're still under my authority. You're, uh, you're a vassal to me, and you need to do what I'm telling you to do. And this king started not doing that. He decided he wanted to do what he wanted to do, and he wanted to go to Egypt, and he was looking for alliances in other places. And when Nebuchadnezzar got word of it, he came back. And he was angry. He was not happy at all. And he took Zedekiah, and they, they came and surrounded him in 586. The, they surrounded, they captured him, and they captured his family. And he saw his family destroyed in front of him. And then they poked out his eyes. And the last thing that King Zedekiah had seen was what happened to his family. And then they put his eyes out, put him in chains, and just held him there after that. And so because of all of that, um, and, and I, I, I put a note here, mention the paganism behind that. You see, they called it the fast of Tammuz. I thought, why is it called Tammuz? And in Ezekiel 8, it does mention Tammuz. So, and they were weeping unto Tammuz, the women were, and God was angry. In the vision, he, he had jerked Ezekiel up and had him showing him the, the temple of God and these women who were weeping there for Tammuz. And I was like, well, what is Tammuz? Well, it's a Babylonian god that um, is like the the goddess ishtar uh that was later on so this is and tammuz was with ishtar actually i i take that back but it was all around a recreation of the pagan religion trying to recreate what happens in christianity of ishtar and tammuz is like he was the god of of the shepherds and she was the guard of fertility and so that their animals would reproduce and they, and they would prosper in that kind of way uh, that's what it was all based around the Jews ended up calling the fourth month of the year Tammuz and that's why it's the feast of the fourth of Tammuz because it's in the month of Tammuz God didn't call that month the month of Tammuz just like he didn't call January, January, or February, February, or March, now March. God said it's the first month, the second month, the third month. He never put a name to him. It was always the first day of the week, the second day of the week, the third day of the week. So if you want to call Bible things by Bible names, we shouldn't have months and the days of the week. It should be we are in the third month and the 27th day of the third month of the Lord. That's the way it should be said. Because did you know that like Sunday is a reference to the sun god. And that's why they called it Sunday. Saturday was to the Saturn. To the god of Saturn. Uh, Friday. Thursday was Thor's day. Thor the god of thunder. So we cannot look down upon what they're doing too much. Because we've become in the same boat. That paganism instituted things like in the gregorian calendar and in the julian calendar from rome 
that has came all the way to us that we're under and we don't even realize that we're calling pagan things by pagan names. And that's what happened here. These guys went into Babylon. In Babylon, it was the month of Tammuz. And so they incorporated what was going on in the society, in the community where they were at, and they accepted it. It became as normal living under it under those 70 years. And now they were were having a feast called the Feast of Tammuz that was worshiping this god of fertility who mates with Ishtar, the goddess of fertility, and they're in this mess. And so that's what's happening in this first feast that's going on. In the second feast, in Jeremiah 39 and 52, and again in 2 Kings 25, uh, there's another feast. The second one's the Feast of Av, which is the fifth month. And you'll, you will notice when we go back to Zechariah and we, we read it again in a moment, you'll see that he specifically mentions in the fifth month and the seventh month, as you were fasting, were you doing it to me? Well, this Av is the next month after Tammuz. It is the fifth month of the year. And it says this. Look what happened in 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 6 through 10. This explains again what happened. So they took the king, and that was Zedekiah, and they brought him to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters of brass, carried him to Babylon. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, after, after these things happened, came in Nebuzaradan, who was the captain of the guard, and he was a servant of the king of Babylon, he came into the city of Jerusalem, and he burnt down the house of the Lord, and the king's houses, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great man's house he burnt with fire, and all the army of the Chaldeans that were there with the captain of the guard, they break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. Now this is the reason that they were having this fast that they had instituted in this fifth month to, to remember back to what happened in that day when Nebuchadnezzar sent his army in to destroy everything. The third feast was the feast of, or fast, I keep saying feast, it's, it was the fast that they had instituted on their own, and it was Tishri, and that was in the seventh month. The seventh month of their calendar was called the month of Tishri. And so they made another feast now to Gedaliah. Because Gedaliah, whenever this all happened, and they took most of the people, either they murdered them or they took them back with them to Babylon, they left behind the older ones that couldn't travel well. They left behind the sickly ones, the ones who had problems. They left a few in the land, and they took the, the best that was left and brought home. And Gadaliah was put over these guys. He was a, a good man. He had a good heart. And he was trying to take care of them. But there was a man who didn't want him in power. And his name was Ishmael. The same as the first son of Abraham. And Ishmael was of the lineage of King Zedekiah. And he didn't like it that somebody else was over here in power. He would rather have it for himself. So he brought some of his own cohorts together. And on the feast day of the Feast of Trumpets that they were trying to have, he and ten of his cohorts 
killed Gedaliah and then a lot of the people that was there and then they also attacked the garrison of Nebuchadnezzar and that made him mad and he did a lot more damage. But to commemorate Gedaliah and how gracious he had tried to be, they held another feast day on that seventh month. And then the fourth, was, fourth fast was called the Fast of Teveth, which is the tenth month of the year and that's found in Jeremiah 39 and, and surrounding Second Kings 25 also. So now... We have the background and the knowledge of what happened so that now we can see as we go back to Zechariah 7 like what we did on Wednesday night. Now we have some spiritual glasses to put on to see what Zechariah is really trying to tell them and what the word of God is coming out to them. Now when I, when I look at this, I couldn't read any of this right now. I'd be in trouble. But when I put these on, I can, I can read and see what's going on. You know, a lot of times if we're looking through the flesh at the Word of God, we only see what's there physical and we don't get deep. But then when the Holy Spirit reveals things through spiritual glasses, we go, oh, now I begin to see what's going on underneath all of this. So now let's go back to Zechariah 7 and let's take a look at this underneath this new light of things. For now, almost 70 years, the people since that time have been doing something. They've been fasting. They've been weeping. They were beating their chest. The word used for the fasting takes in part all of that, how that they would sit and they would beat their chest and they would weep and they would throw dust up in the air and put on their sackcloth and ashes. And they had been doing that for 70 years. But what were they not doing? Actually worshiping God. They hadn't tried to open up the scriptures and go back to say, we need to really be holding the feasts on the feast day. We need to really be trying to honor God through his word. No, they did what they thought was something good. They said, what shall we do about this? And they said, let's, let's hold a fast. That's a holy thing. And let's, let's do it in honor of these things that, that's happened. So they were worshiping in a way that was under their own auspices and their own imagination. And they weren't going back to the word of God on how they were supposed to be worshiping. And so that's what's going on here. And that's what the question is now. You know, Jesus told the uh, woman at the well in John 4, the Samaritan woman, when she came, he said that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in what? Truth. And for God is a spirit. And he desires worship that is according to spirit. And in the truth. And so that's what we desire to do then. Our desire is not to be doing things underneath the things that we would think is right or pleasing. But the things that are written in, in truth. And then with the spirit from the heart doing that. They had stopped doing those things. It goes on continually. It went on from that day forward. It was going on in the days of Jesus. And it goes on today. I mean, look at Matthew chapter 15 up here. In Matthew 15, Jesus is opposing the very same thing in a very question just as Zechariah was getting from these two men, uh, Sherezer and Regimelech. He, his disciples have been out doing some things. They were eating. They didn't wash their hands. Oh, shame on them. 
They didn't wash their hands. You know how many times I haven't washed my hands before I ate? Man, when it comes to food, you're ready to eat, aren't you? And, and sometimes you just don't have time to wash your hands. And these pious men come up and says, Why? Why does your disciples eat with unwashed hands? Don't you know that that goes against the tradition of the elders? Man, we've set up all these things. Do you know they had a special way that they, they had set up to wash their hands? And they took it as gospel because it came from that tradition. And you were to, they had these buckets and you would wash your hand, but you had to hold it like this. And you would have to pour the water on it and rinse it down this way and let it drip off your elbow. Because if, you, if you're like us, a bunch of redneck boys, and you wash your hands like this and you do this, where's the water dripping? Off your fingers. So they thought, that dirt's still on your fingers. So you can't do it that way. You've got to hold your hands up and have someone pour that water on your hands and let it drip down off of your elbows. And then you've got to go try to find a towel this way to dry them hands off so that none of that water came down on your fingers. And they said, your disciples don't even wash your hands hanging down. They didn't wash at all. And you know what Jesus said to those guys? He looked at them when they came and said that, and why did they do that? He said, he posed a question back. He said, why do you transgress the commandments of God? Now, what trumps commandments of God or traditions of men? <laughs> commandments of God, right? So he said, you know what? You're worried about your traditions, but look at the commandment of God. And he gave an example of what he meant by that. He said, there's a command that says, honor your father and your mother. But you know what you guys have done? They had put in here a, a little loophole. Boy, they had some tax accountants back then too. And they put a loophole in this thing that said, if you, if you take like your IRA and you say, that's holy unto God. And when I pass on, what's left from that will be God's. If, if you do that, it was called Corban. And if you make something Corban, then when anyone asked you, you could still use from it while, while, if you needed to, but you would always tell people that it's really whatever's left is set for God. So if father or mother or friend or relative came and said, I am in need, they'd go, everything I got's Corban. I'm sorry, it's dedicated unto God. I can't help you with that. And Jesus said, you have made up a tradition to protect yourselves, and it has become more of a law than the word of God that said you are to honor those father and mother and take care of them. So therefore, you are coming down on my disciples for something in which you have no business sticking your nose in. You are doing this. And then he says, you have made, in verse 6, the commands of God of no effect by your traditions. And then he goes on to verse 7, you're hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah say of you that the people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their hearts are what? Man, your hearts aren't there. That's where the spirit comes from and that spirit and truth worship that we're supposed to have. The truth is the word. The spirit is from the heart. And, and with the Holy Spirit within us, we worship then with spirit and in truth. And he says... You haven't done that. You just give me lip service, but you don't mean any of it. In vain, then he says, 
in verse 9, they do worship me for they teach as doctrine their commandments of men and they let it trump the word of God. And the disciples come up to him in verse 12 and man, they're going like, hey Lord, don't you know you just offended those guys? Man, they're all mad. Look at the way they're acting and stuff. They might come after us. You offended them. Do you think it, it bothered Jesus that he offended them when it come to something in the word of God no but you know what we got too many folks today trying to teach and put things out there even in the religious body that you can't offend nobody that you have to to stay away from stepping on a toe well the Lord didn't the Lord said when it comes to the word of God now everything else we are to treat each other and everyone that we come in contact in this world with as much grace and love and honor as an ambassador for Christ that we can. But we have to tell the truth when it comes to the word of God. And the only time that Jesus offended anyone was when it came to the word of God. And if that meant that I have to offend you to stand up for what is truth, he did. And he would turn over tables of money changers. He would tell the Pharisees and the scribes the way it was. Because what matters most to God is truth. And But you do truth in love as much as you can. Paul wrote one time and said, Have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? And so that's, that's where we tread as we try to not make any enemies. But in the same time, we have to walk in the steps of what is truth. And Jesus went on then after they said, don't you know you've offended them? He said, I can't accept that. He went on to tell his disciples who accused him of, of offending them in verse 13. He said, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, guess where they end up? In the ditch. They're all going to fall in the ditch. So in, in other words, he said, every plant, in other words, if there are bodies that are not teaching truth, then at the end, they will be rooted up. Another time he said that there's tares growing up with the weak, and you let them go, and one day God will sort it out. But we have to stand on what is truth. So now we go back to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. You see, all the way through, through 1 Timothy, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus for a purpose. The faith was being shipwrecked by there from some people that were teaching false doctrines. They were teaching a bunch of things that were not true. And so he, he names two of them uh, in there, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Almost slipped me for a minute. So he named two of them in chapter 1. These guys are making shipwreck of the faith. And he goes through chapter 2 and he explains some words of truth about prayer and about teaching. And in chapter 3 he talks about elders and deacons and qualifications. And then in chapter 4, this is what the Holy Spirit says. Now, in verse 1, the Spirit speaks expressly. Now somebody's going to have to take Ray's place and shout this out, okay? Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times shall, shall depart from the faith. Faith comes by what? And hearing by what? So faith then 
is doing what you hear from the Word of God, right? When we depart from the faith, that means that we have departed from the Word of God that we have heard, and that's when we end up departing from the faith because faith comes by hearing and, and hearing by the Word of God, and everything else is erroneous and cannot be done then by faith. And that means we've departed from that. So verse 1 continues that the Spirit says that latter times some shall depart from that, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Did you know that everything that goes against the Word of God and, and tries, they try to seduce you away from that and make it sound good and make it sound like this is a better way? And doesn't this sound great if you do it in this type of a way? And they will use that seducing spirit to then start bringing in doctrines of demons is what it's called. And that's not me saying it. That's the word of God saying what it is. If you're following a doctrine that is not of God, it is a doctrine of demons that has been in the past seduced people into following. Verse 2, they will speak lies to you hypocrisy against the word of God because their mind and their conscience is seared with a hot iron. You know, when you've given yourself over to those things, it doesn't bother you to, to tell what's not the truth because you've become seared so that you believe a lie and you think it's a truth yourself so that you can sell it to them. And it says they will go even farther. They will start adding to or taking away from the word of God. And it says they will forbid to marry commanding you to abstain from meats. People, those are things which the Lord God gave to us, he says right there in the scriptures, to receive with thanksgiving to those that know the truth. And then the charge to Timothy and to me, he says, as the minister of God and his word, we must remind the people of God concerning those things. And when you do, you are a good minister of Jesus Christ. And you will nourish all of us up with the words of faith and a good doctrine of what it is. And you carefully then follow those things. And then verse 11, he goes on to say, These things, the proper word of God and the warning against following the things that are not of God, you... you you command and teach. Be an example in the word and in conversation and in charity and faith and in purity. And then he says, till I come, give attendance to these things and to reading and to studying and meditate on the doctrines of God and give yourself wholly unto these things. Take heed to yourself, verse 16. Take heed to yourself and unto the doctrine of God continue in that for in doing this thou shall save both thyself and those that hear you see it's not going to do me any good to tell you something that tickles your ears and you and I both end up lost for eternity the only thing that matters is you stay in the doctrine of God and you teach it and you follow it and when you do that you save not only yourself, but those who hear you. And that is my prayer, that everyone that is here today will be saved and to know the truth and that we will not be led astray because our faith is built upon the solid foundation of the Word of God. Now when we go back to Zechariah 7, let's look at it through the spiritual glasses. 
came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah in that fourth day of the ninth month, which is called Kislu, when they had sent unto the house of God Sherezer and Regimelech and their men to pray before the Lord. You see, they've come seeking truth, haven't they? And they came with the proper attitude this time. They came in prayer and they came to the house of God and they came wanting to seek the proper answers from those who are the teachers of the word of God to, to try to find biblical answers to their question that they had. So they spoke unto the priest which were in the house of, of the Lord of hosts and then to the prophets saying, Should I weep in the fifth month separating myself as I have done these so many years? So there's that question. That was that second feast that was going on in, in the Feast of Av where they were remembering what had happened in Jerusalem 70 years ago when Nebuchadnezzar came in. And they had instituted on their own this fast. Of, and they have been doing it for 70 years. But now all of a sudden somebody was moved in the spirit to say, let's go to the house of God, to the teachers of the word of God, and see if we should continue doing this or not because we're starting to go back into the land. Do we need to continue to do this or should we stop it? So now they send uh, Sherezer and Regimelech to find the answers. Uh, we want to know if we're continue following what we're doing. Is it in the word of God? Should we continue with that? So then, you know, Hebrews chapter 1, they went first to uh, the priest. And you know what the priest told them? I don't know. I, I don't know. That's why they're going to have to end up going to the prophets uh, and Zechariah. You know why the priests don't know? Because the priests are the ones that are in the house of God, and they're like the Wednesday night Bible teacher. They, take, they took the word of God and explained it to the people, like Leviticus, all of the feasts and the offerings and the different things. They would take those things, and when someone come in with leprosy or something, they would take the word of God that was written and then try to take and do what was right from that and explain it to the people. Whenever they were asked the question, do we need to fast and continue in the fifth month? They go, it's not in the word of God. It's not there. So I don't know if you should be doing that. So that's why it says then, in the, in the verse 3, that after they went to the priests in the house of the Lord, they went to the prophet. You know why they went to the prophets? Because the prophets were being given the words for today that they were to live by. Prophets were given a word of God for the time frame that was going on because they didn't have the entire scriptures yet. They didn't have all of the books of the Bible. They didn't yet have all of those things written and readily available None of the New Testament had been written. They only had a part of the Old. So as life went on, God gave the word in different ways to the prophets to speak what was concerning going on in today. And we've taken that, some folks have, and misused it because they continually have all kinds of prophecies today that, oh, God's given me a new word and God's given me this. Well, I beg to pardon unless I actually see it come. And then I don't know if it was God or you made a good decision on your own. Because the book of Hebrews chapter 1 says this to all of us. It says, God, who at sundry times 
And in diverse manners, that means sundry times means many different times. In, in diverse manners means in different ways. He gave to some in visions, to some in dreams, to some he came face to face like Moses. So in many times and in many ways did God come in times past to the fathers by the prophets. But he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and of whom made all of these worlds. And when the book of Revelation and the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the last books that were written, was signed for and added to the canon of Scripture, and that last apostle of John of God died, there is no new word that comes out. Now you answer every question by what saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. You open up the word of God. And just like whenever I had a question last week that said, well, should I follow? And I'm not, and, and trust me, I'm not picking on anything. They said, should I follow Lent? My family is. And I must have looked like the priest that was in the house of God because I went, You see, I've never learned anything about Lent. And you know what my first thing was? It's not in the Bible, so I don't know. They can do what they want to, I guess, just like these folks who was having their fast days that they had made up by their own. So I went home and I started looking, and I found out that Lent came about in 325, 300 years after Jesus Christ, when a bunch of guys at a Nicene council said, hey, here's some things that we might be able to do that could be pleasing unto God, and we could force people to, to do it underneath of our mold. You might be doing it unto God, but was it in the Word of God? Or is it a tradition of men? Just the same question that these two guys are coming and asking them. So then I can come back and give you a biblical answer that says, I don't do it because it's not in the word of God. If they want to do it, it says in Romans that everyone worships God according to a conscience. And if that means that I want to do that to show personally, well then you go for it. But we cannot teach it as doctrine. It is not a doctrine of God. It was a tradition of men. And it, there's, it's not going to be counted to you as wrong unless you try to make it rise above the word of God. Just like they told here. And so God at sundry times, diverse manners, spake unto his people in time past by the prophets with a word. But now that the entire canon of Scripture, just like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when there were some discussions there, it says, when that which is perfect is come, that which is done in part shall be done away with. So the things that were done in part, like the word from God by this prophet and the word from that that was done in part, when that which is the word of God is come, when that which is perfect the perfect word of God has been delivered, has come, that things that are done in part are done away with. And so you don't follow any words that are not from God. And so that's what these people are coming. Should we continue following something? And the priest said, I don't think so because it's not in the word of God, but I can't give you nothing. So then what happens? Look at verse 4. They went to the prophet in verse 3 then. And in verse 4, the prophet says, Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto Zechariah. So now what do we got? 
We got the word of God. We don't have a tradition of men. We don't have somebody's idea or opinion. We've got the word of God coming to his prophet to tell the folks. And he says, speak. Don't just tell Regimelech and don't just tell Sherezer, but speak to all the people of the land and to the priests. Why do the priests need to know? Because they're teachers too. But they only have the first five books, so you've got to let them know too so that they can add this to the word of God or what it is. But this is the word of God that comes into the word. And God said this, when you fasted and mourned in that fifth month, and in that seventh month, even for these 70 years, now how long had God's word and things been done for? All the way back to the time of Moses. You've only been doing this for 70 years. That should have been your first clue. And then he says in that fifth and seventh month, even those 70 years, did you fast at all unto me? In other words, was it under my authority? Was it something that I had told you to do and authorized for you to do? No. And then he says this in verse 6. When, and even after that, in the rest of your life, when you did eat and drink and you weren't doing that, did you do it unto me, even me, or did you do it unto yourselves? You see, there's something about people thinking that, oh, I will give, like Jesus said, lip service to this, but I'm going to go after that among my merry way. And he said, but your heart was never with me in this. That was just lip service. God is saying the same word through the prophet Zechariah that he said through Jesus and that he speaks to the church today. I want you to worship according to spirit, that's your heart, and according to truth. Verse 7, here's what he said. You guys have went out and you thought you were doing something good. You thought you was going to do something that would please me. But God said this. He said, should you not have heard the words of the Lord that had been cried by the former prophets? In other words, I already gave you the word on what you were supposed to have been doing. You should have looked it up. And you should have been doing it that way and not by what you started making up the way that you're going to work. I gave you my word to the prophets in Jerusalem when it was inhabited. And that means before Nebuchadnezzar came. And you were in prosperity. And so were the cities round about. And I always tried to tell you that as we learn the word of God. Learn it now. When things hit the fan. When trouble comes. You won't be able to learn it then. And then you will have to be making things up on your own. He says, when you are at peace, when you are in prosperity, now is the time to learn the word of God and see what I had spoken unto you. It's too late whenever you're all confused and chaos is all around. You cannot sit down with a sound mind and listen to the word of God and see what he's saying to you because chaos erupts everywhere. Do it now. Prepare while you can he said should you not have listened when it was inhabited and you were prosperous and and i had sent you everywhere and we inhabited the south and the and the rest of the plains and again it's like jesus said if you love me keep my what my commandments if you love me keep that if you don't then your heart will be far from me and you will be following anything 
So then he says in verse 8, the word of the Lord came to me again. So here's, here's what God is now telling Regimelech, telling Sherezer, and telling the priest to tell the people about this question that they ask. The word of the Lord said this, saying, instead of fasting those months, execute true judgment. Do what's right. Your court system. Everything about that. Do what's right. Do justice according to justice and do not adulterate that. He said, the next thing, have mercy on people. Show compassion towards every man to his brother. Isn't that, good? Isn't that some good words right there of what we should be doing? Show mercy and compassion to everyone to your brother. Let none of you imagine evil against the brother in your heart. But you know what my people did back then? They refused to hearken. They pulled away the shoulder and they stopped their ears up that they should not hear. I want to let you know what that means. Ray, stand up here. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to use you for a minute. Okay. Say Ray is a, is a prophet of God trying to speak the word in love to us. And say I am that guy on the street there that just does not want to listen and wants to do my own thing. When, when you begin to try to tell me the word of God and show me this mercy and stuff, what would you do? You would like, hey, brother, right? Yep. Well, what, you'd say, hey, brother, the, you know, God want This you says... The good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's what it means when it says they pulled the shoulder away from me. That means whenever you put that up there and you try to tell me what the word of God says, I, go, I don't want no part of what you have to say, and I turn and I walk the way. It says, you shrugged your shoulders at me, you pulled it back, you stopped your ears up so that you was going to quit hearing, and you made your hearts like flint. And that word, the first eight out of 11 times that it's used, means for briars and prickly things. It's used in Genesis 3 on the curse of man, when it said, from the ground shall grow the thorns and the thistles, and those sharp thorns and thistles that are hard and pierce that's what that word is. It says your heart became so thorny and prickly against the word of God that if someone tried to reach out and touch it, that heart would sting them and pull them away from you so that you could not have an opportunity to hear the word. And then as it progressed, it came to mean hard. Later on, it's used as the point of a diamond and then like flint as it is here. A hardened, sharpened, that's what they used for their arrows and some of their knives and they would sharpen them up. And it says your heart is just like that. It's become so hard and sharp and pointed against the word of God that nothing can come near it. Nobody wants to touch it because of how vile your attitude is toward the word of God. And so then God says in verse 12, yeah, they made their hearts as an adamant stone. Well, that's the word that I was describing there. The, the adamant stone in some of them or as a piece of flint. And then it says this, lest they should hear the words of the Lord that he has sent by those former prophets. And therefore came a great wrath from God. And that word for great wrath is the same thing as a dog that foams at the mouth because he's just a mad dog and he's getting ready to be ravenous. It says, so God became that angry back because every time he reached out to his people to try to correct them in the way, the people had that sharp thistle heart 
And they had a shoulder that took the hand of God and just shrugged it off. And so God said, finally, my anger worked up and I couldn't help it. And he said, therefore, it came to pass that whenever I began to react and do what I promised I would do in that fifth cycle of discipline, they began now crying unto me. But God said, the same way that they cried, that I cried to them, and they shunned me and turned away the shoulder, and their hearts became so hard, in that same way now, I have turned away from them, and I am not hearing until that time of my restitution is done, and I have scattered you like the whirlwind, the last verse of the chapter says. And what a great lesson from the Word of God, isn't it? What a great eye-opening thing it is for us as the church about staying with the Word of God, staying with true, true doctrine. When we have a question, let's find out about it. And let's do what the truth of the word of God says because that's what God honors. Worship him and he seeks worship that is of spirit and of the truth. So as our worship team comes on back up and we get ready to close this out. I hope that we can apply then this word of God to our life. May we also share it with each each other that we come in contact with. Just like Paul told Timothy and left him there to try to teach others also. Declare the truth, the doctrine of God. And then he said, be examples. We are to be examples then of that living word as we go out, showing that mercy, that compassion, but also standing firm when it comes to the truth of the word. And then I pray that just like he said, that with these words, the words of truth, you save yourself and those that hear you. One of the words of truth that we always try to end with is about coming to Christ and offering that opportunity. Please, don't stop up your ears today. Don't harden your heart or turn away your shoulder from what God is trying to offer us, the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And the Lord Himself even said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And that's the word of God. He that believeth not shall not be saved. He's already denied that you've shrugged the shoulder at that word of truth so in acts 22 and 16 he's the the ananias had told paul why are you waiting for then now is the time he told him what are you waiting for you know the truth don't turn the shoulder away arise and be baptized if you have that need and wash away your sins calling on the name of the lord and if that need is here with you this day please Follow through on that tug of your heart that the Lord God is putting on you through his word as we stand and sing this song of, of encouragement.